0: Yeah.
1: Welcome to the Weird Christmas Podcast. I'm Craig Kringle. Every year, Halloween's been a bit more of a thing for me. A buddy of mine, a marketing guru, told me I need to call my sites Weird Holidays to be more accurate. But when has marketing ever been about truth-telling? I am the Weird Christmas. Actually, I can't even use that because the guy who has the actual at Weird Christmas on Twitter... He's got that in his little bio thing, and I still wanna steal that handle from him so I can get rid of the damn underscore in my name on there. Weird underscore Christmas, but whatever. Follow that guy too, and he'll probably insult you for fun like he does me. We're good friends. But I got an early Christmas present this Halloween, For the last two years, I've been trying to talk to the expert on Halloween history and our schedules just wouldn't work out. She'd have some busy interviewing situation come up or like have actual famous people and people who might actually want to pay talk to her. Or I'd remember that I have children and I have to cancel at the last minute. Just wasn't working. But praise the pumpkin king, I finally got to talk to Lisa Morton. In my little world of holiday history and oddities, she's a queen. But she's actually more well-known from other things because she's a writer, a horror writer in particular, and not just any horror writer, but a winner of the Bram Stoker Award for best novel, which is a big deal. And she did that with her first novel, and she got better. She was president of the Horror Writers Association of America for five years. She's edited a bunch of horror collections, One of my favorites with another hero of mine, Ellen Datlow. She's been interviewed for all kinds of documentaries about Halloween. She was even on Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie. And if you don't know what that is, then you also don't know Art Bell, so you've missed out on one of the greatest slices of weirdness the world's ever produced. But that's neither here nor there. She has three books on Halloween history that are absolutely amazing resources The Halloween Encyclopedia, came out in 2003. A Halloween Anthology, Literary and Historical Writings Over the Centuries, in 2008, which won the Bram Stoker Award for Best Nonfiction, and Trick or Treat, A History of Halloween, 2012, which also won the Bram Stoker Award. So she kind of owns Bram Stoker at this point. Anyway, I need to stop fanboying and get to her because we had a great talk, especially once I got over being nervous for talking to someone I've read for years and years. You're, You're known for horror stories. You're president of the Horror Writers of America. How did you get into Halloween, though?
0: it was it was kind of a strange development i i mean obviously i always loved halloween or i wouldn't have ever written anything on it but um it was back around i think 2000 and i had just done a film book with another with a publisher and um that had gone well and they said well hey do you want to do another book with us and i looked at their current catalog and they were just bringing out a book called The Christmas Encyclopedia. So I said, hey, I know, why don't you do a Halloween encyclopedia? Nobody's ever done one of those. And they liked that idea. And um, so I, I always, my, my little anecdote about this that I always say is for some bizarre reason, I thought it was going to be easy. Um, <laughs> and three years later... <laughs> It was an immense amount of research Uh, It was back slightly Right before they had things like Digitized books online So it involved a year's worth of Library visits Mm -hmm. Um, But it was really fun And the good part about it was that I ended up amassing so much information that it was easy to roll it over into other Halloween books. Uh, that first one was the encyclopedia. And, of course, when you're doing an encyclopedia, you can't tell like a, um, a history in terms of laying it out in a nice chronological order, that kind of thing. So it was fun to finally get to write the sort of narrative history of Halloween later on.
1: That's great, and then that is what trick or Treat came to be, um, which
0: we should mention
1: did win the Bram Stoker Award for uh, nonfiction, which is wonderful, Um, well-deserved, I should say, too. Um, And then you've also got an anthology of writing about Halloween. And that's not just stories, right? That's actually people giving accounts of things that had happened.
0: Yeah, exactly right. Um, That's the book called a Halloween Anthology, and um, that was a case where I had found so many of these interesting pieces that were, some of them were so lovely, and I really wanted to be able to share the complete pieces with readers. So uh, I did that book not too long after I did the encyclopedia, and it does contain everything from newspaper accounts to um, odd little essays I would find in old books to uh, actual stories. Um, Yeah, that was another one that was fun to take all of that material left over from the encyclopedia and put it into that.
1: And that's really fun for a history buff because you see not just the the general narrative, but you actually see accounts of people complaining about things and complaining about kids or talking about how they need to change the... Traditions, So, yeah, I really like that one quite a bit. That's probably, oh, honestly, good. my favorite, <laughs> I think, at this point. Oh, so,
0: neat. Okay. Yeah.
1: Well, if you wouldn't mind, are you able to give what you might consider the super short snapshot of where Halloween came from?
0: I always like to answer that by dispelling some of the common misconceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, one of the things that you see a lot of is, well, it comes from this ancient celtic holiday and their druid priest would dress up in costumes. um you know that sounds great but the truth is that didn't happen um the celts and uh, the first part of that is true um halloween probably does derive some from Samhain, um which was the celts new year's holiday and it was celebrated uh on october 31st so the day stayed the same And sort of the intent stayed the same, because it was, for the Celts, it was a sort of mystical holiday. It was the border between two different years. Um, It was when the days got shorter and they brought their harvest and their uh, livestock in and so because it was this sort of borderline date for them they thought the borders between worlds were at their thinnest and that things like the malicious fairies or the as they call them the she could cross over on that night so that's where halloween kind of gets its macabre side um although later on when the catholics added um or co-opted salad with all saints day all saints day had a little bit of a macabre side too when they added all souls day um which they added um to as a date on november 2nd because they weren't doing very well co-opting salad from the kelp so they added a second day and all Souls' Day is kind of um an eerie holiday because it's a day that's dedicated to all the souls that are trapped in purgatory and so people would um, pray for these souls of their loved ones who were trapped in purgatory. People would sometimes claim that they could hear those souls screaming in torment or something like that. And so it definitely had a kind of an odd edge, too. Um, but another one of the misconceptions I like to misspell is the idea that trick-or-treat is thousands of years old. Um, no, in the ancient days, they did not go house-to-house house begging treats. um, that is actually quite recent. Uh, Trick-or-treat is probably less than 100 years old, and it started as a strictly American tradition. There were a few accounts of people who would dress up for All Souls Day and uh, would go from house to house in England and ask for treats in exchange for offering a prayer for a loved one who was in limbo. But they, that, that, does not translate directly to trick or treat, which developed because people needed to buy off destructive pranksters. Um, back in the uh, early 20th century, Halloween w- for uh, boys in this country was all about playing pranks, and those pranks got more and more destructive over the decades. Until by the 30s, they were a lot of cities were considering just banning Halloween. And fortunately, some of them were smart enough to say, hey, you know what, why don't we buy these kids off instead? So they created uh, costume parties for the kids and gave them lots of little treats. And that, of course, is where we get trick or treat the phrase.
1: One thing I was going to ask is it seems like from a lot of the old postcards that I share, Halloween used to be a time for fortune-telling in a lot of ways and that there were a lot of games, particularly about trying to find out, you know, who was going to be your future husband or wife and they're showing those all the time and there are so many different versions of that Um, why was that such a big part of Halloween
0: well I think that comes down from uh, the ancient Celts Um, again you have that idea that it's a sort of mystical night that it's a night when borders are at their thinnest. And because of that, not only was it about, well, things could cross over, ghosts or evil fairies, but also maybe you could actually see into the future a little bit on that night. Um, So, yeah, that was immensely popular clear up and into the um, 20th century. And there were dozens of games that they would play, uh, if you ever read the Halloween poem by Robert Burns, which is kind of the classic description of an early Halloween celebration in Scotland, it's all about um, all of these young people at this party trying to figure out who they're going to end up marrying. And some of their, their little games go really wrong. And the poem is actually really funny in a couple of places, but also very eerie in others.
1: And there were party games like that. Then there's also a series of cards and discussions about going out into a garden and picking um, actually kale and cabbages and that, that those are ways that people are going to find out more about their future too. Um, any ideas why particularly like I've never really thought of Halloween and greens as going together but there's a whole lot of mentions of that
0: That, yeah that actually has a really really silly answer which is that um, those are the things that were being harvested in October in um, Scotland and Ireland (laughs) Um, it was kale and cabbage and cabbage in particular was huge in early Halloween celebrations they would use it for everything from um, pulling it up and Uh, the tradition was that you would examine the stalk of the cabbage and if it was a nice clean stalk it meant you were going to marry well if the stalk was kind of rotted or dirty or whatever um, it didn't bode so well but they would also use the cabbages in one of my favorite stories was tying strings to the cabbages and then leaving them in the, the farmer's cabbage patch. And then the, the farmer comes out on Halloween night and the kids would pull the strings and some of the cabbages would look like they were walking around in the uh, patch. <laughs>
1: um, I like that. I actually like that a lot. Um, oh, and there's another one about uh, uh, about outdoor ovens, if I'm remembering what it was correctly, about there being large outdoor ovens, the kilns, would, the kilns, yes. And what was that? Right,
0: like? they, they were called lime kilns, and lime was something that it, you know was used in a lot of different things. and And they would have to apparently bake the lime in this kiln. And the kilns were quite large and and usually very deep. So the um, tradition was that you would go up to one of these lime kilns and you would throw a ball of yarn into the kiln, and then you would. Um, do this thing where you would say who holds my yarn or who grabs my yarn and supposedly you would hear a voice come up up out of the lime kiln and you would feel a tug on the yarn Um, and of course the the classic prank that people would play on this was that they would go and hide in the kiln and wait for somebody to do this and then they'd grab the ball of yarn and say something like it's the devil and um, (laughs) freak people people out and um, so yeah that was a really odd one
1: I, uh, oh, by the way, I should let you know one thing I just recently found. There was a, a guy who has a blog, and what he decided to do was track down every image of a vintage Halloween card that he could, and he said he now thinks he might have close to a complete collection of <laughs> vintage Halloween cards, and he's posted them all on um his blog. I should find a link to give it to you, but it's fascinating. There are things like, I spend all my spare time looking for old cards for all different holidays, and he found some things that I've never seen before.
0: There was a postcard, Halloween postcard catalog that came out about 10 years ago that mm-hmm. was magnificent. Um, and these people had um, spent like their whole lives, this couple, had, uh, the Carpenters I think were their names, mm-hmm. and they, they did an actual gigantic Spiral bound catalog with little tiny color reproductions of every one of the three thousand Halloween postcards they had. Yeah, um, yeah, and this guy... that thing has. Oh, go ahead. That's Sorry. gone out of print and is impossible to find. I managed to get one oh, when wow. they were still selling them. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'd like to see this blog and oh. see how he compares to what the card. I know
1: quick interruption his name's eric hinton and i put a link to his site in the show notes i also ended up talking to him and you can hear the interview and get a couple zip files of his favorite cards over at the patreon site but more about that later Well, I know you
0: also have
1: collection of Halloween, or uh, multiple collections of Halloween stories that you've edited. Is that right?
0: Uh, That I've edited and written. Yeah, I have uh, one anthology of Halloween stories that I co-edited with Ellen Datlow, and I also have my own collection um, called The Samanak and Other Halloween Treats, which is all Halloween fiction.
1: That's wonderful. Is there one story maybe you could give us a little preview of, Wet People's Appetite?
0: Yeah, that um, title story in that collection is one that I'm really proud of, and um, it was—it's a novella, which means it's fairly long, and um, it's about a mythical Scottish shape-shifting demon. And I actually did find this thing in real folklore called the shamanok and by the way i'm sure i'm wildly mispronouncing that but um it was just one tiny mention that i found in a 19th century folklore book and i just love the idea of a halloween demon and i thought it would be an interesting way to do a sort of fictionalized history of halloween so it's about a demon that has cursed this one family And the demon comes back every hundred years, which allowed me to um, take Halloween through a number of different centuries. And the protagonist in it is a contemporary mother whose little girl has been taken by this demon, and she has to track this shape-shifting monster down and uh, get her little girl back.
1: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for talking. I appreciate the insight, and I'd be happy to mention anything else you've got coming out.
0: Um, I uh, had a book of ghost stories come out earlier this year. I co-edited that with Leslie Klinger, who is an amazing annotator and editor, um, multiple award winner. We had a great time putting that together. That is out in stores now. Um, He and I are finishing up a second book right now, which I cannot really talk about quite yet, but I'm really (laughs) excited about that. And then uh, next year I will also have out another nonfiction book, which will be a history of the seance.
1: Ooh, fun. Very fun. Well, thanks. And I want to say, too, I love what you post on Facebook as the Halloween decorations start getting going and sort of following how you decorate your house (laughs) as well. That's fun every year.
0: Oh, great. Yeah, I love posting those things and seeing what other people are doing, too. That's great.
1: Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, thanks a lot. This was fun.
1: So much goodness in there. If you want more, head over to my Patreon site where I posted the entire interview. It's only $2 a month to hear the podcasts I'm putting out each month now, and there are two other autumn-y, Halloween-y treats that aren't part of the regular feed. All the normal Christmas stuff will still be free as usual during the season, but if you want more and you just feel like helping me out, covering costs for hosting and whatnot, I would dearly appreciate it. I'm also sending out real honest-to-goodness postcards to people, and there's some other hidden bonuses as well. Really, do check out her books on Halloween. Her fiction is wonderful too, of course, and that's actually where I read her first. Yeah, I read a lot of horror, but mainly collections of stories instead of novels. I could get into why I think stories are so much better for horror than novels, but that's probably a topic for my other podcast, which, well, I'll let you find it if you're interested. My favorite is probably her anthology that she put together of writing about Halloween, because it's so fun to get perspectives on the season from the actual time, hearing people complain about kids, rioters, revelers, folk wondering about odd spiritual and religious questions during the season. Just such a unique perspective on holiday history. But Trick or Treat is also simply the best straight history of the season that's out there. It's also useful to know some actual facts when that idiot down the street starts trying to tell you that Halloween used to be all about summoning devils and satan worship. Yeah, I actually do have that neighbor and he likes to talk. I hope you like the new icon too. I thought I needed an update because the old red Krampus image I used when I first put this thing up was something I made in about 5 minutes with Microsoft Paint. It was useful. But that marketing buddy I mentioned made this one for me, and I thought it was perfect. Still crampus but just looks much cooler. And I like the blue and the red. I didn't want all traditional Christmassy colors. But that's what it'll be from now on, so if you use one of the apps that just shows the icons, hope you didn't get confused. Also, if you're listening to this right around when it comes out, you might still have time to get in on the second annual Weird Christmas Flash Fiction contest. You may remember that I ran this last year and had an episode with some outstanding Weird Christmas stories. Well, it's going again. The deadline's November 2nd. 350 words, $50 for first place, and 25 for second, and I'll publish and read about 10 or so honorable mentions. All the details are at weirdchristmas.com if you're interested. I've already gotten twice as many entries as I did last year, which is both amazing and intimidating. I actually pulled together a panel of judges this year just to help me read through everything. I mean, my wife and a couple friends. So it won't just be me in a corner deciding what I like best. I get final say, of course, so the winner will definitely be, well, weird. And hey, if you do that Patreon thing, I can start offering more and bigger prizes next year, which might mean even more entries and more stories to choose from, and it will be your hard-earned, generous dollars coming back to you through literary awesomeness. Or something. Oh, and I helped another friend out with his annual Halloween music show. Search for Old Man Freak Boys show, Hey You Kids, Get Off My Lawn! He runs an awesome indie music show in New York, and the stuff he put together for Halloween this year just makes a perfect playlist of creepy and fun Halloweeny tunes, most of which I bet you never heard before. So if you're sick of Monster Mash or Werewolves of London at Halloween parties, check it out. Links are in the notes for the show, or just search for Old Man Freak Boy, and hey you kids, get off my lawn. And listen for my pick, which I even got to introduce. He does a Christmas show every year too, which are all available online and all great. Next time, folk, it'll be Christmas time. I've got a ton of good stuff ready for you this year. Interviews, chats, lots of talk about odd Christmas history, a couple names that might be familiar from previous years, and plenty of new names as well. I can't thank everyone enough for listening and sharing these podcasts, which are just so much fun to put together. So please follow me on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, even join the Facebook group, which I'm trying to get more interesting. Links are all at weirdchristmas.com. Or if you have a question, suggestion, just want to rant at me, WeirdXmas at gmail.com. So until next time, don't let Santa stuff you in his bulging sweaty sack.
0: So in so in that the ritual begin. The call upon our sacred ancestors to come in. So in so in. The call upon our kin The call upon our dear departed loved ones to come in.